So we live in a world where perception is reality, and uh, don't try to overthink that statement and try to make some sort of philosophical law out of that. Uh, what I mean is this, we, re we react and we respond to our surroundings based on what we think, you know, what we, what we perceive about what's going on. And let me give you a couple examples. And Let's say you're driving down the road like the model law-abiding citizens that I know we all are, right? Yep. Yep. And someone starts getting very big in our rearview mirror, right? You can see them getting bigger, and they zoom past you, and they dart right in front of you without the courtesy of a signal or a, a wave of apology or anything. And, and what are we thinking? What do you think when that happens? Don't tell me what you say because it's in that place. But what do you think, right? What a jerk, right? What a, someone needs to teach them a lesson on how to drive. Or what about if you pass someone in the aisle that you know at Walmart and, and you smile at them and you say hello and you maybe even slow down the cart push a little bit because you think maybe here's a chance to chat with them. And, and they give you kind of a half smile and they, and they simply say, hey, and they just continue down the aisle. Was that rude? Was it rude of them? Or, or maybe you, you start wondering, are they mad at me? Did I do something wrong? But what if the very next person that you pass Walmart is a complete stranger, but, but they give you full eye contact and a warm smile, and they say hello. And you notice that they do the same thing to every person they pass. I mean, that's a nice person. That's a good person, right? Right? But if the person who zoomed past you, the one that we call jerk or whatever you were thinking in your head, forgive them, just had just gotten a phone call. They were on their way to the hospital. There was something going on. They had to get there. Okay? What if your unpleasant friend from Walmart was incredibly distracted by the morning they had just experienced? Or, or perhaps they were preoccupied by an enormous amount of worry about something serious going on? And what if the nicest stranger you met that day was normally very shy and withdrawn, but was trying to keep up their hope despite the news that she just got from her doctor? You know, we perceive these things and we, we say, this is what's going on, this is reality, that guy's a jerk. And this person's mad at me. And this lady's the wonderful, has the greatest life ever because she's so happy. It doesn't work that way. And these are some perhaps overly dramatic examples, or maybe they're not. Because I bet in this community we live in, things like this are happening every day. So I said perception is reality. Didn't we all make some immediate assumptions about the people in the stories? Didn't we all choose our selective responses based on what we believe to be real in those times? So friends, as we've discussed in the past few weeks, life, which is this physical life on earth, it's, it's a journey. Or more accurately, it's a location where our journey is taking place. And I'm talking about the journey we're on where we're supposed to be maturing in our faith, right? It's the current location as we progress towards salvation and glorification for what comes next, which is heaven. And the end goal is determined, and this is from 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. We talked about that this morning. And it says, we know the path of where we're going. It's narrow and it's very specific from Matthew 7, 13, 14. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And in John 14, 6, Jesus answers this way. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we know these truths. We believe these truths. But our life is so far from being scripted, isn't it? We know where we're supposed to go. We know the direction and what we're supposed to be doing. But life just happens, right? We want a script for it, don't we? 
If we can't write the script, don't at least we want to have a copy, say we know what's going on or why or what's going to happen next? Don't we want to know or control, like I said, maybe even see a little in the future about what's going on around us? And in the absence of these answers, we tend to take these little bits and these pieces and, and we make up our own answers because that feels good to know something, even if it's not right. And we consider this to be real. Now, I don't want you to feel guilt or shame if these words or scenarios are described to you in any way. In fact, let me give you this assurance. They describe all of us from time to time. Since we all tend to do this, we're likely having the same kinds of things assumed or presumed or otherwise prejudged about us as well, good or bad. The person we walked by at Walmart, or the way we drove through town, people are thinking the same thing about us. And even more generally, people have preconceived notions about Christians, don't they? Now, even we have our own thoughts on what a good Christian looks and acts like. And, and let's hear some examples. This is the audience participation time. What is, and I'm not going to ask you if you're doing it, but what, what are some things that this says, that's a good Christian? What do they do? How can you tell? Loving. Let's see, helpful and loving? Okay. Anything else? Church on <laughs> Go to church on Sunday. Did you hear that, guys, who are listening online? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, these things. And, and we can come up with a whole list of them, right? Some are specifically scriptural, like word for word, and some of them, like I said, helpful and loving. God says to serve. God says to love. These are things. So then they're good examples, and, and they are supported by scripture, how we're supposed to be living our lives. But do you think that it's possible that people, and I'm including ourselves in that, we expect Christians, again, we're expecting ourselves and others to behave accordingly to that all the time. All Christians must always be helpful, always loving, always patient, always kind, always self-control, right? Oops, I lose somebody. Dreamer. <laughs> Dreamer, yeah, yeah. Do you think that others believe that we live perfect, sinless lives and we never lie, cheat, swear, drink, get mad, get even, hold grudges, brag, or consider ourselves above others? Do you think people think... We as Christians, they look at the church and say, those people are perfect. No, no. I mean, those are Christian values. Isn't that how we're supposed to be living? Or do you think that others believe that that's how we see ourselves, but they know the truth? We see ourselves as perfect, and the rest of the world goes, flawed. The real us, you know, um, you know that acts out the way everybody else does. And what happens when a little bit of this humanity is exposed? Well, we're hypocrites, right? I'm beating us down, but I'm getting ready to build us up, so hang in there. You know, we say one thing and we do another, and that's the definition of a hypocrisy. And that's not how it's supposed to work, is it? If we agree that our hope, that it is our hope, and it's God's expectation that we become increasingly Christ-like, again, the process, increasingly Christ-like, then how, we, how do we flip this script, as it says? How do we flip the script on what people believe about this process? Well, the obvious answer is this. We should never, ever, never, ever do ever do anything that Christ wouldn't do or say or think ever again. Okay? Simple. We just solve the world's problems. Has anybody mastered that? If you have, sermon's over. Go forth, be perfect. Cookies are in the back with coffee, and have a great day. And for the rest of us who have all remained, the lesson continues. Because I don't know about you, but I'm off to a rough start. You know, Jesus was 30 years old. I'm past that. I'm not even close to where he left off. 
but it'll always be what I strive towards. So what do we do? Okay. Well, we could hide our humanity. We could keep our faults and imperfections hidden, hidden from the world, hidden from our families. Hey, we could even hide them from ourselves and live in denial. Just deny that these faults even exist, that, that we sometimes get judgmental and angry and, and don't love and serve and, and all the things we're supposed to do. We can just kind of keep that to ourselves and let's see how that does. You know, I'll be selling a lot of uh, Maalox in, in my Lanta, I'm, I'm guessing. And it sounds like a lot of work. It really does. And probably trying to accomplish something that, that won't ever turn out well for anyone anyway. But that's when the world calls you hypocrite. When a shocking revelation is made about the person everyone thought was so nice, so perfect, so Christian. And, and they find out they're just as normal as everybody else. Because scripture says, no sin, no temptation has come across you that hasn't come across before. Jesus faced it. Everybody in history has faced this. The Bible is a story of people who faced anger and frustration and addictions of all kinds. And if we don't want to do that, we can just spend tons of money on counseling to help us deal with all the junk that we've been repressing for years, right? And I guess the only option left is this, and this is my recommendation. Well, my recommendation is we all be perfect, but let's... But my recommendation is this. Let's just be genuine. Let's be ourselves. Let's be the way God created us, working towards what God created us to do. To remove the mask of perfection like the woman in the screen. You see, she's got... I'm not afraid, I never lie. She's got stuff written all over her mask and she takes it off and underneath on her face is written, I am afraid, I do lie. You can imagine what kind of stuff is written there when she takes off her mask and the real person there, right? To be ourselves, good or bad, or good and bad actually, but pursuing perfection, but we're still flawed. So let's go with that piece of advice for a moment and see how it plays out. You guys remember the fruits of the Spirit? I love sharing this one because this is my list of how I'm doing. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the one that gets us all if we haven't already been picked on, self-control, right? Stuff. Now I'd like to use this as a bit of a litmus test for myself and say, how am I really doing in regards to some of these things? Because there's not a single word in that passage I don't need to continue to work on, including eating more fruit. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it was 50-50 that anybody laugh at that. Was, um, if the world knows, or at least generally understands, that we as Christians are supposed to exhibit these characteristics, and let me put an asterisk behind that, okay? It's not just Christians. We are all called to be this way. We are all supposed to be kind and loving and forbearing and have self-control because God created all of us and God wants us for this for all of us because it brings peace, not only for ourselves, but for the world around us. So I say he called us as Christians to be this way, but he truly called all of us to do this. But let me digress. If the world looks at Christians and holds them up to these standards, they can't help but recognize the disparity from time to time. I know you, you go to church, Generally, you're a really good person, and I've never heard you say a bad word in your life until that one time, right? Because that was the only time it ever happened, right? <laughs> Be honest, at some point, despite your very best effort, um, in public at least, you will say or do something that isn't loving or joyful or peaceful or kind or good or gentle. And you may even have a little bit of lack of self-control. So flipping the script on what others believe about Christian living isn't about it accentuating flaws or completely letting loose, say, see, I'm human, blah, this is me. It's about being honest about them and how you respond for your spiritual 
of your, you know, respond to your spiritual shortcomings. What do you do when you mess up, when, when you've made a bad choice, all right, or exhibited a bad behavior? Well, guess what? Um, it's, it's, it's about taking a moment of humanity and making an example of Christianity. Because God doesn't promise tough things don't happen. He just says, I'm with you when it does. Right? Give it to him. So the most Christian thing you can do is be human and then respond with Christ-like compassion for yourself. Hard to forgive others. Sometimes really hard to forgive yourself. We talked about that a lot this morning too. And, and it's hard because it, it does what? It takes discipline and it takes self-control to do these things to point these out or at least acknowledge them. So flipping the script is about saying, hey, I'm, I'm a work in progress, and it looks like I still have some work to do here. Right? For me, it's so off-putting when someone flaunts their perceived righteousness and faithfulness imply a level of perfection. You see people with those kind of masks on, and it's almost repelling. I don't want to go to that church. I would feel out of place. I'm not that perfect. Okay? But underneath is this person. And in some ways, that can even be alienating. And, and, and I'll tell you, a, a good example is biblical knowledge, which I think everybody should want and strive for. And we all know we're supposed to read the Bible and understand and apply the words recorded in Scripture. And we know that. So when someone readily recites memorized Scripture that we aren't as familiar with or, or we tend to recoil a bit because we're not sure if that's right or maybe we should have known that. Or maybe it's some general Bible knowledge. Again, this is just an example. And we aren't sure of the details of that parable, so we tend to shut down and maybe not talk as much. Don't get me wrong. These are good, godly skills, and they reflect time well spent in the Word. But that's why this morning's Bible study was about becoming familiar with some verses. Not for the purpose of memorization, but for the purpose of personal understanding and individual application. We had a handful of people around the table each reading the same verse and hearing just a little bit of different aspect because of where they were in their lives or what they've experienced or when they've drawn on that before. Or maybe they think that, ha, this one doesn't apply to me. That's a pretty good sign that you're going to need that in the next two weeks because that's how God works that. And this assignment was to know these scriptures, not to memorize them, but to know them, even if it wasn't word for word, so that you had them in your arsenal when you needed you know, a kind of encouragement, the kind of encouragement that only God's word can provide. And perhaps in a minute of feeling down, you will recall the message of one or more of the verses that tell you just how much you were loved. Or perhaps in a moment of remorse, guilt, or regret, you'll recall the message of his promise of forgiveness. Perhaps in a moment of pride or when to witness someone else's, else's pride, you will recall the message that God's grace is an unearned gift, not by works. Or perhaps in a moment of worry, you recall the encouraging words that provide strength and tell you what to do in these moments. And you notice that I'm not giving these verses or verse numbers because that flies in the face of what I just told you. That's because I want to encourage you to hear God's words for yourself. And if you weren't here this morning for the 830 Bible study, I have some additional copies. and I'll just put them on the back table um, in the fellowship hall. And they're just literally the scripture. The, the name and chapter and number and, and then the actual scripture and then some blank lines. Cause, and they're ones that you hear about all the time, John 3.16, and, and other ones that you have heard but you wouldn't necessarily know where they are in the Bible. And, and take a look at those and read them and understand what God's saying to you through those words, not just because you memorize it. Because you don't have to know them word for word in order to hear what God is saying to you in these moments. Rote knowledge isn't what you're being tested on. 
not whether or not you can say it word for word and get everything right. Scripture is the source of the answer to the test that you are really being living in this life, right? And at the risk of overusing the phrase, it's important that you remember that this life, this test of life is an open book exam. All the answers you need are right here. And if you don't understand it, ask the teacher, right? We aren't trying to challenge the world's view of Christianity. It is what it is. The, the goals, the steps, the commandments, the rewards are firmly established by our Heavenly Father. And what Jesus accomplished, what we are to do in response to what happens after our time on earth as a result, it's never in question. It's never changed. So flipping the script is changing the world's view of Christians and Christian living. Changing the false perception that we are a bunch of perfect people, or arguably worse, that we are a bunch of heavily flawed people living in denial and judging others without looking at ourselves. My challenge to you, my risky prayer for all of us, is that we will recognize our own humanity and to not deny or hide it. Take the opportunity and capture that lesson for the sake of your soul and the sake of anyone who happens to witness it. And the next time, or rather every time, you catch yourself not acting, thinking, or speaking in love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control, I'd like you to call it for what it is and treat it like something that needs forgiving and correcting. Give a quick nod to God for helping you become a better person. Then extend yourself that same forgiveness that he just gave you. Extend yourself that same forgiveness and correction, and then you continue on. See if you don't experience an additional measure of peace as you take these steps of sanctification. See if you aren't more likely to extend a little more grace and forgiveness towards others when they're doing the same thing that we all do. See, God has called you. And you being here, it's a reflection that you have answered. God has chosen you. He has called you. Now let him do his work in and through you. He has marvelous things to accomplish that he has set aside for only you to do in this world. And if you haven't recognized that God has chosen you and God has called you, if you're having trouble understanding what that means or how to apply this to your life, then don't remain silent. Whether you come forward after service or you reach out to a trusted friend in the congregation or you get in touch with me, I want to hear from you. This church, this loving congregation of, of Christ's followers who are flawed but working on it, we exist for questions like these, for times of support and encouragement for each other like this. So don't leave this place without making a decision to get that answer. Let's pray. Father God, one of the most personal and intimate things we can do is remove that mask and let people see who we really are. And God, we think we hide it from the world and, and more erroneously, we think we hide it from you. And you know us, you know our heart, our thoughts, our actions. God, more often than not, we require the forgiveness that you're so willing to give us. As scripture says, if we repent, then if we confess, then the promise is on your side. If we do this, then you do that. And it's that simple. It is that simple. So God, as we go forward in the world this week and, and we stumble like we know we will, let us not look beyond our own flaws let us call them what they are, give them to you, and just press on and try again. That is the model of Christianity. God, as we see others struggling, whether they identify themselves or not, let us be ever mindful of the peace and grace that all people are entitled to. 
as our responsive reading this morning went, we're not to respond with anger. There's no Christian love in harsh words. We're, used to, we're supposed to use words to encourage and build each other up, to hold each other accountable. And God, that's just a process that we need to go through in this world. Father, I thank you this morning for everyone gathered here, for everyone who is listening online, for those who couldn't make it here this morning. I ask your peace and blessing on all. I ask your forgiveness on all of our sins, whatever they may be, and help us to move past those and back on this narrow path that leads to you. For you're in a place, a wonderful place, that's better than we could ever imagine, just waiting for us expectantly to join you. We give this service and this time to you. Amen.